Hi, my name is Pastor Tony Garbarino of Providence Presbyterian Church. We're delighted that you tuned in to hear a message from God's Word. If you'd like to find more information about us, please go to providencefw.org, providencefw.org. We seek to be Bible-based, gospel-saturated, and Christ-centered. So please enjoy now this message. Thanks for coming. This is the next night vision of the visions of Zechariah, uh, the shortest of his night visions, um, verses 18 to 21. Uh, but before we hear from the Lord, let's ask his blessing once more upon uh, the preaching, the hearing, and the reading of that word. Let's pray together. Our dear Lord and Almighty God, we come again before you now asking that you would be with us, give us ears to hear, Lord, open our hearts that we would receive what you have to give us. In your word, we praise you for condescending to, uh, to stoop down, to speak to us, to reveal to us what you desire to reveal to us. And so we ask now, Lord, let the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. We confess that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from your mouth. We ask, Father, give us a great appetite for this, your word, that it may nourish our souls this morning in the ways of eternal life to your glory. Through the bread of heaven, Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Zechariah 1, starting at verse 18. Please give your full attention. This is the word of God. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? And he said to me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, what are these coming to do? And he said, these are the horns that scattered Judah, so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. So for the reading of God's word, may indeed add a blessing to it. This time. Well, I wonder what you think of when you hear the word martyr. Martyr. Uh, often we think of the well-known book, um, Fox's Book of Martyrs, right? Uh, mostly we think of really old guys who died for the faith, for their witness to the faith. Uh, the word martyr comes from the Greek word for witness, means to witness. But martyrs. Martyr is not an office that ended at some point in history. There are still martyrs. The church is still persecuted throughout the world. There are those whose lives have been taken because of their commitment to Christ. Some of you may know this, but uh, one of our denomination's ministers was fatally shot last week for his work in Haiti. His name was Jean Jacob Paul, PCA minister in Haiti. This is last week, not centuries ago. And so it's hard for us at times in middle America to grasp that some places there is really terrible persecution against God's people, against his church. We don't know what it is to be in a hostile country. The most of us, we don't know what it is to have someone ask you about a Bible study and then find out later that everyone at that Bible study had been murdered because the person who inquired about it was only asking to find out where the Christians were so they could rid the country of them. This is an event that happened to a PCA minister 
when I was in seminary, not hundreds of years ago. Most of us don't know what it is to face martyrdom, martyrdom to face death for our beliefs. Uh, these are radical and drastic, stark truths that are hard for us to get our minds around. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't know what it is to be persecuted for our beliefs uh, in any way. We do. It doesn't mean that we don't know what it is to see our core beliefs are contrary to the culture around us or to be in the midst of blasphemy all around us. And most of us do know something of the struggles of life. Uh, I, I, I would venture to guess that all of you do. Um, I had a conversation uh, at one point years ago with a man who revealed to me that he, he couldn't remember ever having a headache. Uh, that is the exception to the rule. Most of us know what it is to suffer to some extent. Um, most of us know what it is, something of the pain of loss, the torment of guilt, the soul struggle of our own weakness and the smallness of our faith and the weakness of our wills. And the enemy is not absent from waging war against God's people, even in our own country, even in our own city, even in our very own lives. And the battle between God and his enemies has been unfolding throughout history. So what do we say? What do we say to those people who have been or who are being persecuted? What do we say to their families? What do we say to those on the mission field? The surviving families of this PCA minister. What do we say to those closest to us who struggle? Do we have a word for them? What message do we bring to them, to our own troubled souls? Well, we saw that Zechariah is preaching God to God's covenant people who have been devastated. He's preaching to God's covenant people who are in despair. In Zechariah, we have seen uh, the returning remnants back to, back to the land to build the temple. And they're fresh out from being in bondage, though not really. Right? They're still under Persian rule. They have not made great progress in building the temple or the wall of the city. They are under persecution from the people of the land. There is economic ruin. There is agricultural ruin throughout Jerusalem. They are experiencing hardships externally, right, from the Persians and other people in the lands. And internally, in that they are suffering and indeed desperate. What kind of message does Zechariah, does God, from God through Zechariah, does he have for these people in despair, in calamity, for the church in the Old Testament? We turn now to the second vision of Zechariah, and we see the four horns, right, the four horns. And Zechariah turns and he asks the angel for an interpretation of what these symbolize. And the angel says, these are the ones who have lifted the horn against Israel, against Judah, its ca and its capital, Jerusalem. Right? You may know horns in Scripture. Uh, it's, uh, think of like big horn sheep or the Jacob goat. Those of you who know such things of such beasts, I don't, but I've read about them. Um, they have an idea of a fierce animal gored, goring something with the horns. They're symbolic. They're symbolic of the nations, of Assyria, of Babylon, of Persia. But even beyond that, in the Old Testament, they symbolize the very enemies of God. The image of lifting the horns gives the image of ferocity and hostility and vengeance, aggression. 
And on the other hand, Zechariah, in Zechariah, the people of God are pictured as what? As a flock of sheep. A flock of sheep. They are helpless victims of the horned beasts that are goring them. When we look at the New Testament, at the Old Testament, we see the word scatter is often used. Scatter, right? In the Old Testament, for the scattering of sheep. Psalm 44 says, You have made us like sheep for slaughter, and you have scattered us among the nations. Jeremiah 31. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it to the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. The scattering of the sheep, the people of God. And the hostile powers that Zechariah speaks of have purposed maliciously to trample and to scatter the people of God. And the nations who destroyed Israel are depicted as beasts with goring horns. Beasts, goring nations. These are also depicted in the Old Testament as ones who lift the horns against God's people and blaspheme God himself, as we heard in Psalm 75. I say to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high, or speak with haughty neck. Right. So part of the nation's goring of Israel is a great defiance against the God of heaven. They are hostile against God, and they are hostile against his people. And the horn symbolized it is, it is applied to these nations who persecute the people of God, Israel. There is, though, a much bigger picture than Assyria and Babylon and Persia. If you turn to the book of Revelation back, to Revelation chapter 13, you see this connection, you see this imagery, and we see this bigger picture of what's going on. Revelation 13, as we again heard earlier, <clears throat> And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. And it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. So you see here the similarity in the connection between Zechariah's vision and what the Apostle John is telling us here in the book of the Revelation. And what we see is this. The beast with ten horns waging war against the peoples of God and against God himself. Blaspheming, warring against God. It's a picture of the unbelieving world that persecutes the church that persecutes the people of God throughout time and stands in defiance of the Lord Almighty. We look back at Zechariah and we see the second part of the vision. It says, the Lord showed me four craftsmen, or craftsmen, or blacksmiths, it could be rendered. And notice here in this section, it's not now the angel talking to Zechariah, but the Lord, right? L-O-R-D, all caps, Yahweh, the Lord. And he showed four craftsmen or blacksmiths. Right? These are skillful artisans in their craft or work. They are gifted in what they do. And these four craftsmen are given to match the four horns, to deal with them, and in a masterful, skillful manner. And the Lord tells Zechariah the occupation of the craftsmen. 
right? Remember in the first vision last week, when we talked about the unbelieving world and the hostile world, and it said that the nations were at rest and at ease and were comfortable. And the craftsmen are going to cast down these horns that have been raised up against God and against his people. They are to bring low that which is lofty. And they are to take care of his anger, remember, the anger of the Lord, the fury of the Lord from the first vision. And the point is that the Lord, through these craftsmen, will deliver his people who are oppressing him. Deliver his people from those who are oppressing him. God will deal with those who are persecuting the people of God. The Lord makes similar promises elsewhere in the Old Testament, as you're probably aware. In Psalm 75, we heard earlier, all the horns of the wicked will be cut off, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. God is sending these craftsmen, these artisans, to deal with those horns. And this vision is indeed prophetic. It's prophetic, and it has an immediate and certain application to the people of God in Zechariah's day. The nations who have horned God's people. The nations who have gored the people of God, like Assyria, like Babylon, like Persia. Where are those nations today? This vision of Zechariah holds a great hope for the people of God in Zechariah's day. The people of God who are under Persian rule, under Persian domination, under Persian persecution from the people of the land. But the triumph over these peoples is absolutely certain. God will indeed, for certain, deliver his people. Imagine this word coming to the people of God through the prophet Zechariah at the time. What a great encouragement to the people of God in this situation. What a great comfort to the believers in Zechariah's day. A word from the Lord of victory. To those in Jerusalem who love the Lord are under this great and are under this great persecution, Zechariah is telling them, Lo, their doom is sure. Their doom is sure. But the message of God's victory over his enemies and victory over the enemies of his people is not merely for God's people in Zechariah's day. This prophecy has application to the church at all times through all of history, and is a reality for the church today. Listen again how the Apostle John depicts God's enemies and the enemies of his people, that is the church. From Revelation chapter 12, verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. And then 13.1, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems and on his horns and blasphemous names on its heads. 13.11 Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth and it had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. These are the nations with horns that gore the church throughout her history. These are the peoples who persecuted and devastate the church throughout the centuries. Even to this day. These are the people who are persecuting the church of God, even this very hour. The people of God are a flock of sheep who are constantly under attack from these ravenous predators who seek to gore them. So what's the answer? What's the answer? Where are the craftsmen, we ask? Where are they? 
Where are the craftsmen to deal with this? Where, what is the answer for the church today, for us? For the family of the missionary that was murdered? What is the answer for the church throughout its history of persecution? Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, pure and white, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron and tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Do you see this? The Apostle John sees a rider on a horse, and he's followed by the armies of heaven who are also riding horses. Right? Think again back to the vision of Zechariah, the first vision from last week. Similar, right? We consider these things. There's this messianic figure. Riding over the darkness, riding over the chaos, over the deep, over the gloom. And note that the rider's task is to destroy the nations who are at enemy with God and with his flock. Who are attempting to destroy and scatter the flock of God. He is here to set all things right. And the text is very clear regarding the identity of this horseman, right? Verse 16 again, he is king of kings and the lord of lords. Here is this messianic warrior who has come to set all things straight. He is the victorious rider over the chaos. We must understand, the messianic horseman was, for the people in Zechariah's day, the great hope. This is the great hope and the promise. And he is the great hope for the people of God in our day as well, for us. He is the answer to the darkness. He is the answer to the gloom and to the chaos. But let's not miss the difference between Israel in Zechariah's day and the church today. Right? Israel anticipated and looked forward to the coming of the Messianic warrior. We, on the other hand, right, we rejoice that God has fulfilled these promises in Jesus Christ. And that the warrior has already come. The warrior has come. Christ has come. He's come to wage war against the enemies of God, as well as to deliver and to redeem his people. The book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 14, gets right at the heart of it. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Right? That's it. Glorious. 
And John also tells us, the apostle, elsewhere, that the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reality for you, brothers and sisters, the reality for us is that the writer has come. The writer has fought the battle. The writer has triumphed. Praise God. This messianic warrior proclaims victory at the cross. Let us celebrate and rejoice, not in the anticipation, but in the fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah. Behold, the King of kings and the Lord of lords has come. So what is our message to the church under persecution? It's that our God reigns triumphantly. The Messiah has come. He has conquered the darkness and the gloom and the chaos and even our own wicked hearts. He has triumphed. He has conquered all of his and our enemies and he rules. He rules over all right now. And he will so in complete fulfillment at the second coming. But even now, he reigns. Do you know what the Messiah has done, both on a large macro picture and also in the small concrete events and details of your own life? Not just on some cosmic, abstract, uh, esoteric level, but on a personal level, providing for you, comforting you, caring for you, consoling you, encouraging you, giving you boldness to live for him. All of your enemies are defeated. Every one. And if you know this cognitively in your mind, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you trust God? Do you trust that God in defeating all enemies against him and against you? And do you trust that he will carry you through even to the end as he has promised? Do you know that this is his promise for you? And that, yes, you have been granted to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Yes, we can expect to suffer the persecution and pain of this life. But you have also been granted for certain, dear Christian, to be glorified with him. And if you have received him, if you receive the life that he gives Rest in him. Rest in the comfort and the certainty of that reality. Rest and be transformed into his image as your heart responds to the gift of grace and the life that he has provided. And rejoice. Rejoice, brothers and sisters. Not, not merely that they're out there abstractly is a God who has won victory over the devil and sin and death, but also concretely rejoice that he has included you. In his plan, you personally. Let that sink deep into your troubled souls. And let it transform your pain. Let it transform your fear. Let it transform you and comfort you. From comfort that comes from yourself, which is self-trust, to comfort that comes from the Messiah. Christ-reliance. Trust and confidence and assurance and comfort from the one who promises to never leave you or forsake you, or abandon you. But if he is yours, and you are his, that there is great rejoicing and delight and blessing, dear Christian. It is he who made us. We are his. We are the sheep of his pasture. Let's pray. Well, Thank you for tuning in 
this morning. Uh, if you'd like more information uh, about Providence, if you're in the greater Fort Wayne area and would like to visit us, please go to our website, providencefortwayne.org. If you'd like to give, if you were blessed by this message, if you'd like to have more information about the faith or about growing in your faith, uh, we'd love for you to get connected with us. Thank you.